inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello, everyone. We're back. How are you doing today, Care? Co-host Carrie. <laughs> I'm pretty good. Just trying to stay cool in the ever-warming summer we're about to have here, probably. So. Yeah, Ontario. We have temperatures in the 30s here in June, and it's been a busy few weeks here for out. Like the last couple of weeks, we've had our two-part. Canadian Federation of the Blind Choices and Goals Virtual Convention Special. So that was a lot of fun to put together, right, Gary? So much time spent, but I think it was worth it. Mm -hmm. If our listeners haven't had Great a chance stuff. to check that out, they can find it on all podcast services. Search for Outlook on Radio Western. And actually on those specials, we had someone, a brief clip of somebody who's actually a guest on our show today. What we featured them from on this convention special was from the diversity panel which we also played in full a few weeks ago on outlook and that happened at the recent convention and you were the one carrie who put that whole diversity panel together so congrats on that it turned out great and you can also find that in a previous podcast episode of our show yeah i appreciate everybody who agreed to be on it speaking of um our guest today like brian said was on the diversity panel at our convention and um I met you at, I guess we met you at the convention two years ago. So welcome, Harjinder Saran or Saran? Saran. Saran, yeah. Hi. And, and we, we, know, we know her by Ginny, but. Um, yeah, that's, that's a okay. That's a nickname, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show, guys. I'm excited to be here. And hello to everyone listening today. Yeah, thanks for, so much for coming on. Thank you. We never know now. It's, this, will be, this is live on the radio. Well, um, it's airing on the radio, <laughs> but then it's also a podcast after. So you never know when and where people are listening from. But mm -hmm. Where are you uh, coming to us from in Zoom times? Yeah, so I am from Aldergrove, British Columbia. It's a small town, part of the Fraser Valley. Hmm. Yeah, we're still trying to learn um, BC a little bit. We've been there the last couple of years for conventions and stuff mm -hmm. and explored it a little, but it's so big and there's so much to. It is. Yeah. There's a lot to see and a lot, a lot going on um, in the province. So have you ever lived in any other province or just BC? No, just BC. I haven't lived in any other province. I want to definitely go visit um, definitely some of the maritime provinces um and stuff oh, yeah. like that but i've only lived in bc have you been to ontario before yes i was in ontario for a couple different uh programs um like camps summer camps uh blindness programs um mm. but i haven't really um explored the actual um explored actual like Ontario and stuff like that it was more mainly I was there for something right. right coming here for something very specific and then going home sort of thing mm -hmm. yeah. it's hard to, to fit some sightseeing or something in around the reason yes. you're going oftentimes so yes yeah right well like I said you were on my panel and uh, we met you in 2019 
Um, and you were on my panel, but I wasn't sure at one point if you were going to be able to. And uh, that was because you were doing something pretty cool. What um, were you? Where were you when I had you on the panel? Like when the actual panel aired, we did right. It, it. <laughs> yeah, you were, you, you were here for questions. On yeah, a, you a were live at the convention for for some questions there. Unfortunately, you couldn't yeah. stay longer. But I totally understandable because you were doing something uh, quite exciting there. If you want to talk a little bit about that, hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, so I recently just. Um, Less than a month ago, came home from Morristown, New Jersey, where I was at the Seeing Eye, which is one of the first, actually, it was the first guide dog, Seeing Eye dogs training school that opened in 1929, (laughs) if the dates are on, yeah. And I graduated the program with my first guide dog. Her name is Sadie, and she is a Black Lab Golden Retriever Cross. Uh, So I stayed there, uh, did my two weeks of quarantine, trained for about a month, and then now I'm back here. Wow, what a a journey. That must have been (laughs) quite the exciting journey, obviously, now with the pandemic. That's a bit bit more unfortunate having to quarantine. Um, So how did you find that overall, traveling with the pandemic and, and all of that? Overall, it was okay. The hotel, you know, the hotel staff were amazing. The school definitely made it really comfortable for all of us. It was great. Um, and they definitely made sure we had everything we needed. They were constantly checking up on us. So in terms of like COVID and protocol, the school was totally on top of that and was great with all of that, which was really helps you ease into ease into things especially when you're doing this during um a time like we're going through now yeah and I was kind of following your journey there you were sort of journaling it on Facebook a little bit your two weeks in the hotel and meeting everybody and getting you know to know them Mm -hmm. and being in that environment yeah you kind of bond before you hit class so you know you already have that connection with with your class um, so yeah, in that's some all, ways, I don't know. Definitely a plus. How it would normally be before, because in some ways, maybe that those two weeks were kind of nice in a sense, just to be able to sort of meet some of your classmates there before before the class started. Definitely, we definitely the four of us got pretty close. There was three other um, quarantiners, as we called ourselves, and you know, two of them were definitely our comic relief um, <laughs> throughout the whole two weeks. But it definitely gives you that kind of connection with your class before you go into something, you know, that's a little bit more stressful um, because you're training, um, you know, a whole day. And you, you know, one thing's kind of already knocked off your list. You kind of know your class. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. you, so you chose to go to um, a, a school in the, in the U.S. now, just out of curiosity, were, was everyone else in your class from, from, the, from the U.S. as well? Or were there people from other, anywhere else? So, yeah, so most people in the class were actually from the U.S. I had one other Canadian in the class, and actually, she's my friend, um, also from the Fraser Valley. Yeah, so we actually got accepted into the same class, but everyone else there was from the States. Oh, wow, so you you knew somebody already. Yeah, I I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So what was your reasoning for going to for to the U.S. for our listeners who may not be aware? I know there are a a few guide dog schools in Canada. I I think there are maybe four. Four? I think I actually heard that there's uh, one in BC or Alberta. Is that still a thing? Do you know? Yes, there's BC, Alberta. There's um, the one in Ontario. Yeah, there's a there's couple. The in Mira on- Found- 
yeah, there's like the Rare Foundation. What would have been your reasoning then? Did you did you do some research on any of the Canadian ones, and especially the one that was closest to you, the BC, um, BC I Alberta? Did. I um, and yeah, what was your I did. Reasoning? And I looked. I yeah, and I looked into some other ones into the states as well. And I think mm-hmm. for me, it was so the Canadian ones. Unfortunately, um, there are longer wait times. Um, just because they don't have, you know, maybe enough staff or enough dogs, um, things like that. Um, but definitely when I was looking into some other ones in the States, uh, one of the ones I was looking at guide dogs for the blind only had a two week program and Hmm. yes, they cover everything from vet costs to food and they have a graduation, but, and you know, everything's free, but a two week program for someone who is a new guide dog user like myself I don't think would have been feasible for me and I also although you know I understand that they are helping us with the cost of our dogs because not everyone can afford it especially because we're on disability I uh, really wanted a school who um who kind of made me work a little bit more for it that's just my personal thought and I'm really glad that there are schools who will fund things if people need them because that is super important um but the seeing I not only was it the first school that was the original seeing eye dog school um but it has such a rich history um even after that that the school talks about and I really love it but they also make you pay um so it's $150 for your first guide dog and $50 for your successor guide dog. And the reason why that is is because um, when they first started the school, that was considered you're paying a third of what it takes to train a guide dog. Now the cost of the third would be really higher, but they yeah. just left it at that. So in a way, you're kind of still kind of feeling like you're 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 you know, you're kind of earning it, you're you're paying your way. And I really like that. Um, even though, you know, I have a disability, I can still do that. And I like that they train the dog to work for praise. A lot of schools treat, um, uh, sorry, train the dogs to work for treats and treat training is good. The seeing I does do clicker training, um, which is really good for tracker training, but I want my dog to work for my, for me, not just because it's getting food. I want her to know why she's working and she's working because it's a good thing to do. Um, so, you know, I just really thought that th- that school was the best fit for me. Wow. Yeah, no, it sounds like you did great research. Uh, yeah, there's, as you. our yeah. listeners can tell that probably don't know a ton about this. And Carrie and I also, we've had one guide dog, but it's been so long ago now. Um, we got ours. In well, the- we each had one. We didn't share one. <laughs> no, right. so, yeah, let's clarify that. <laughs> no, your brother and sister, you're both blind. You have to share. We're dog. three years apart. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have been able to share that with you. Um, but I, I, that was in 2001 when I got mine. So that was years ago. So it's, it's just, yeah. it's sort of, sort of, um, detached from that world in a way lately. And it's so kind of mm-hmm. nice to hear about people getting guide dogs these days and just to think, reflect back on those experiences and, and just give our listeners an idea of how many different schools there are and how many decisions that can go into it and how different approaches these schools take. There's, there's so much involved Definitely. in, uh, and yeah. there's no right or wrong. It's just yeah. what works for personal. you. And maybe this, yeah, maybe the school I chose wasn't the best for somebody else, right? And that's the good thing about it is this, you know, it's not this, oh, you're blind. There's this one approach that fits all. It's many different 
um, approaches that each individual person can choose for themselves, which I really like. For sure. I'm just I'm just kind of interested in that BC and Alberta one because I'd never even heard of it until I read about it like a week ago. So I was, in, I was like, I didn't even know there was another oh, school out west here in Canada. So. It still exists. Um, I have a friend, uh, one of my really good friends, her dogs are from that school. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a nice school. Um, they did have a bit of a waiting list. I'm not sure right. what it's like now. Um, but yeah, they were one I was interested in a couple of years ago. Yeah, and that's, well. what, that's what you were saying too. The waiting lists could be kind of long, so you got to mm-hmm. just find wherever you can get in most conveniently. Mm-hmm. But I know a few other Canadians who seem to have followed you, followed be- right behind you and <laughs> their dogs. Yes. Like, uh, Georgia, or the name, and then yeah, Lane. Bl- Lane, who we actually had on our show a few months yeah. ago now, I guess, um, just went to Amazing. there as well. He so. did, yeah. He did. We were in a little bit of a contact contact while I was there, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations to him as well. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely a big reveal when you get your dog, you know, like, I don't know mm-hmm. how, if it was a very straightforward process for you or there were a lot of... Um, It was pretty good. I had um, an amazing instructor. She was great. Um, I was really nervous. I was like, she's like, are you ready? And I was like, no. And she's like, yeah, you got to take a deep breath. Like, calm down a bit. And I was like, yeah, so... um. And, you know, we were te- uh, the night before people were teasing me because I was like, is my dog's name Snoopy? Because, you know, that was just the one that they used as an example when explaining something. But um, they're like, you're getting close. And so I started guessing names that started with S. And then someone's like, well, it could be a cartoon name, but it turns out it wasn't named with an S. Her name was just Sadie. So, <laughs> And is there like a story with the name, like where they get it or? Um, so for the seeing eye, I believe that names are given, uh, by certain donors. Um, I like Sadie's name because it's spelt differently. It's spelt S-A-I-D-I. Oh, love it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So it's kind of unique and I love that. Yeah. We had pretty unique guide dog names as, t- as well. So it's, uh, yeah. especially, well, maybe not the name is so much, but the spelling at least, like you say, makes it especially a unique thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can remember being really nervous, so I'm sure I'm sure you were also. Mm-hmm. But um, was. What, what was New Jersey like? I've never been. Well, I maybe drove through there on the way home from New York. I really like it. It's a nice, like, well, okay, so Morristown right. um, is really nice and small and kind of nice. It has a little, like, cute little diners, cute little coffee shops. And, you know, we didn't go to many because there was still the pandemic, of course, but it's just like a nice cozy town I find. I really liked it. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those towns where I would like to go to, well, I mean Morristown in particular I haven't I'm not too familiar with, but New Jersey in general I'd love to go to someday cuz they have such mm-hmm. a two of my favorite um university radio stations are based in New Jersey, so I just the oh, radio cool. there is, is fantastic. Yeah. So I, I definitely it. like to go back. Again, I was there for a very specific purpose, but right. I definitely like to go back and just explore more and that's why i assume you know these schools pick these communities to have the school in as a nice place to at least begin the training i know they often take you out further than that eventually at least at one point but uh, it's nice to have a community around that you can start your training in Is that how it went mm-hmm. or yeah we, we we trained in morristown 
we had two routes that we did with our dogs. Um, and then you kind of move on to freelance. So things that you'll encounter in your everyday life. So with Sadie, we went to a college campus, kind of walked around there. Uh, we did escalator work, elevator work. Uh, we went on train, like a subway train, uh, so that what we have here for any of your listeners who don't know, um, the Vancouver SkyTrain. So trying to simulate that for, for the two of us. So or going in grocery stores, things like that. They call it freelance. Hmm. Freelance. Yeah. That's a, yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's a cool term. Name. Yeah. And you made it into New York city then? We did. We went there because, um, even though I live in a little bit of like a small town, rural area, I would, you know, I go into new Westminster, Vancouver, um, BC places that are bigger yeah. cities. So we went to like the lower part of Manhattan, kind of walked around there uh, to get that city feel. And I know you can't probably compare it if you haven't been there to New York City before. Just Was there anything noticeable that it's still with this pandemic? Is that, I've heard things it about the so city. It was so quiet. Yeah. Mm. I didn't feel like, like I'd never been to New York, but it didn't <laughs> feel like that. Like it was great. It was definitely yeah. city, but it wasn't, like super it wasn't like you're here New yeah City. right because definitely because of the pandemic yeah yeah we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about guide dog yeah. stuff <laughs> for sure we want to start things yeah. out with that since that was a very recent experience for yeah. you and um you were on the at you were in new jersey when we had you live at the convention answering a few questions yes. from the diversity panel so that was great that you were at least able to stop by for a little bit there and and uh, yeah Educate. And I was happy to do so. And I remember Sadie wanted to just, she was so new back then. She didn't want to settle down, but she's, she's, she knows now if I'm in a meeting like today or something that she has to settle down. So it's, it's definitely we're bonding and we're getting better. Oh, yeah, love it. I love, love the name Sadie. Yeah. Yeah. Thank very you. Nice name for guide dog. Maybe going back now then a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Always like to get to know our guests a little bit, a little bit more. So get, getting a little bit into the past. So if you could talk just a little bit about your childhood growing up, the cause of your blindness, just a little bit about about that in the early years. Yeah, for sure. So I was born with a condition called bilateral microphthalmia. So that means that my eyes weren't fully developed. So as a result of that, um, my left eye was fully removed. And my right eye has been partially removed and I have two prosthetic eyes. Um, so I don't see light or anything like that. So I'm completely blind. I grew up, like I said, in Alder Grove, BC, as part of the Fraser Valley. I went to our local elementary slash middle school um, growing up. And then I went to high school here as well. So definitely mainstream education all the way. Um, I, as a child, I didn't really know a lot of other blind children, especially just because we you know, did, lived out of the city. Um, we didn't have a lot of resources and support at that time. Um, but then as I got older, I made connections with an organization and uh, met other blind individuals like myself. I did meet people at summer camps, but that was only once a year and that wasn't really enough. Um, and currently I'm still in the Fraser Valley, but I'm currently going to school at the university of the Fraser Valley. I'm 
in my fourth year, but I'm not graduating yet. And I'm hoping to get my Bachelor of Arts with um, a major in English, concentrating in creative writing, a history minor, and a journalism certificate. And then I'm recently also applied and am at school at Simon Fraser University um, to obtain my editing certificate. Wow. So short, short, I guess short version is I'm in school a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'd say so. So it must be a lot of hard work. A lot of time. A lot of time in school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you've been in school for years uh, continuously and I, I wasn't sure which year you were in. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear about what it's like mm-hmm. these days for, you know, post-secondary. So, um, uh, First, before we get to your um, English and all the stuff I'd love to talk about, uh, that's my sort, of, <laughs> my sort of thing. And it sounds like you're getting it all in there. You can, you know, edit and well, everything. Um, do journalism, but uh, it's good to have options, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I'm taking them all because I don't, I, yeah. you know, writing is not going to be. Unfortunately, writing doesn't pay a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you need a job to support yourself. So definitely need those backup options. Well, we know a journalist here in Ontario. She's uh, low vision, uh, visually impaired. Oh, cool. But also if you ever wanted guest. another connection. Yeah, a former yeah, guest of sure. this show. And uh, yeah, she's gotten some great yeah. opportunities and yes, major papers and we can everything. So definitely talk about that more uh, after the show for sure. That's- Megan Gilmore, for any of our listeners who remember or want to look up that episode, it, uh, it was a very informative one, that's for sure. So uh, to jump back a bit into your um, younger years for elementary school, did you uh, have services to help you? Did you learn Braille? Did you use technology more? Because you're younger than us, so technology was more of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, definitely, I started learning Braille um, around grades one and two or three, somewhere around there. Um, and then technology, as you said, is very um, prevalent these days. So I was definitely, I was definitely more using technology in high school um, on a regular basis, but um, I had a laptop um, given to me around grade five or six. Um, Even though I knew Braille, um, it was definitely hard because even though I'm now in English, um, that was actually one of the areas I really struggled in during elementary and middle school, just because um, I, you know, excited people and children they're looking around their world constantly reading signs reading things learning how letters look and learning how oh these letters go together to make this word and I wasn't really getting that yes I was reading but it wasn't really sticking with me as much because I wasn't constantly exposed to that so spelling grammar all that was a real challenge during elementary and middle school and I actually didn't have the best grades I was like a C, C plus kind of girl. Um, but definitely in high school, when I started using technology, um, things did start getting better um, in terms of like grades. But I really do wish that Braille had been kept on a little bit more because I feel like not having it as much kind of reduced that skill to even less. And I'm actually a visual person, so I don't like um, reading things 
on the computer. I mean, I'll do it because it is quicker, but mm-hmm. I like having things laid out in front of me. I can see all my notes and papers organized. Like I, I, I'm actually a visual learner. So I really do miss Braille, especially because in university, I don't really use it at all. Um, because, you know, university textbooks, um, you're moving, you know, you have one class here and one class there and you don't really have like a room where you can store them. Like there's a lot of other students. Now, have you ever, <laughs> you know, so- have you had any, <laughs> any, um, access to a, to a Braille display or anything like that for, for college? Cause I found in my, in my situation, everyone's yeah. different, of course, but that helped me a lot. And I'm just not sure what sort of services mm-hmm. are like out there. And if you've had that option. Yeah, for sure. I recently actually bought myself an Orbit reader and I'm still trying to learn how to use that. Uh, I think Carrie, you and I talked about that a little bit because you saw my post about it. I was super excited to get it, but um, I'm still trying to figure out how to best use it um, to get the most out of it. And why would you, why would you say that you, like Braille maybe wasn't kept up as much throughout high school? Was that a decision who, who kind of made that decision? Did you have a, an assistant throughout school growing up, a Braille teacher at all? Or how did that process kind of work? Yeah, so I had a vision teacher. I had an SEA, uh, special educational assistant and a Brailleist. I think they just thought it was maybe a little bit easier to print off the work and give it to um, our teachers rather than transcribing all of it, <laughs> um, right? Because in high school, you're doing um, bigger essays and bigger assignments so you can just imagine how that would be in university especially if you have maybe more than one adult in university with um, disabilities and where to store all that stuff so that totally makes sense but I feel like um, finding a way to kind of still incorporate that I would have really liked that in high school I mean I did have some assignments in braille like I could read them and you know I do the work on the computer but I you know and my textbooks were still in Braille, but I, I definitely would have loved it more. Yeah, more just, so. Just something uh, we always like to talk about on this show because there's more and more talk sometimes about Braille being phased out a little bit or, or children oh, not yeah, growing up sure. with it as much with technology. And while well, sure, it's important to know the new technology. We just really champion Braille I, here. So Yeah, I definitely think it's getting sadly a bit more harder because now even the generation coming after me is getting their technology sooner than I've gotten it uh, when I was growing up. And I just think technology is great. I think it's great for what it can do, but I feel like, you know, if your technology fails, you know, you don't want to be illiterate, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, um, if you're just reading audio, uh, if you're just exposed to that, you still want to have your basic, um, you know, I'm comparing it to print. You still want to have your writing skills and your printing skills and your braille skills. For anyone who's just tuned in, we're speaking with Ginny Saran from British Columbia here today on Outlook. We're going to take a quick break now for some promos, and we'll be right back with more on today's program. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Outlook, and this is 94.9 CHRW Radio Western. We are here today, my co-host and I, with Hard Gender, and your nickname is Ginny. Um, yes. So, you know, that is an, it is neat to learn about other cultures with other names. Uh, you want to tell us a bit about y- your family's background a little or what? Sure. Whatever you want to tell us about it. Yeah. So my full name, uh, as Carrie said, is her gender. And my parents were born in India and then uh, they came to Canada. So I'm actually 
a Canadian. Um, they're actually Canadian now as well, but I was born here. So my um, um, ethnicity is East Indian. Um, so uh, from India. And then I got the nickname Ginny um, during high school and I've kind of stuck with it as well. Um, and oh, so that's what later in life then a bit later. Yeah. Later in life. And I've just kind of stuck with it and people, that's what people call me now. Um, for the most part, Did you get a lot of people calling you Jenny. Oh my God. All the time. <laughs> um, especially Starbucks, um, um, a lot. Starbucks. And I, I, you know, I really, I, it's Ginny with an I is usually what I say. Right. Yeah. I just think that's really yeah. neat. Cause when I heard your name Ginny originally, I, I, I just, I guess, assumed, which I shouldn't do. Nobody should really be doing that generally. But um, I assumed your full name would, would, would be Virginia or something. And then to learn that it, it was <laughs> Harjinder, I thought that was really cool because it's just something something a bit different and unique. And I just, I always think that's the best when we have people with so many different backgrounds and we're all unique, and but we're all yet the same living on the same planet. So I just think that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The only Ginny I would thought thought of when I heard your name was uh, the ca- character in Harry Potter. It's a different spelling, though, so. <laughs> different yeah, spelling. Yeah, everyone always compares me to that as well. So yeah, I've gotten that too. Well, I was getting at it just also because it ties in with uh, your your love of literature and uh, mine also, which we have um, sort of connected on recently about all that. Uh, and I'm you know following your university journey and all these things you're taking and. I, and yeah, we've been listening to some stuff. Did you ever finish uh, The Centaur's Wife, I believe it's called, by Amanda LaDuke? Yes, I did finish yeah. that like a, a while ago. I was thinking, yeah, like, yeah, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I wanted to bring Amanda up because uh, you recently got to speak to her on the podcast that you're a part of, Limitless, the Limitless mm-hmm. podcast. Yes, um, yes, I did. It was How great. was that? Yeah. Um, yeah, for, so for anyone who doesn't know, I'm part of an organization called Blind Beginnings, and our mission is to help children, youth, and, who are blind or partially sighted in their families realize their full potential. And one of our, our philosophies is the no limits philosophy. Um, so often when you have a disability, people decide your limits for you. Um, and we as an organization believe that we can choose our own limits um, and we have the youth leadership program, which is how I got into the organization. As, and as a part of that, recently we started our podcast and that's why we call it Limitless. And we also have our Limitless blog. And I was along with other youth, um, appear as a co-host on certain episodes. And I wanted to interview Amanda because she is just great and a great role model um not only as a writer but someone who is a disabled writer um and i was really happy uh when she agreed to be a part of the show and i was really nervous but um definitely was a really cool experience kind of having that someone who is also a writer, but is kind of like me and knowing that, Oh, if, if someone like that is able to do that, that means one day maybe I am too. Um, so that was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, she runs the, she, uh, she started, I believe, or runs the festival of literary diversity. So yeah, you can tell what her, um, you know, her work is in by that. Uh, but but yeah, no, it must've been exciting to have her on and uh, like, again, oh, we only have her for a certain amount of time. What should we ask her? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, and the Limitless, the Limitless podcast is definitely worth our listeners checking out. They can find it at blindbeginnings.ca, also on all podcast services. Yeah, yes. I was going to ask you about Blind Beginnings. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, like you said, you didn't really know many blind kids when you were younger. So that's why, like you say, Blind Beginnings is such an important thing because it shows options and it, it, gives you got, it gives us power. It gives children who are blind and visually impaired power early as possible to, to know, like you say, mm-hmm. that they don't have to be told all the time, well, you, can't, you won't be able to do that or no, you won't be able to do that. And, mm-hmm. um, so when did you first find Blind Beginnings? And, and you said you were a part of the youth Leadership program. Leadership. Yeah. So I was 14 and I came into the youth leadership program. So, um, as a part of this program, youth, um, come to, um, Vancouver from all different parts of BC. Of course, now it's um, a little bit more different as it's been online for the past two, um, leadership, um, weekends quote, um, you come to Vancouver, you know, you live in a hotel, um, there's volunteers there to help you for the weekend. Um, we talk about volunteering, self-advocacy, public speaking, how to disclose your disability um, um, for, a, for a volunteer role, mm-hmm. um, talking about uh, teamwork, talking about what it means to be a mentor. Um, and then there's a set amount of hours that you're supposed to volunteer. And there's... Um, opportunities to do that within the organization um, through our youth committees. So committees that us as youth that we form. Um, So there's the craft making committee. So we make Christmas cards in Braille. Uh, We make knitted knitted things. We have knitted bunnies. Um, Our recent, like I said, the podcast and blog committee. And um, we have other committees as as well. Um, Things are a little bit more different now um, because things are online. Um, But um, having having those kind of lets people volunteer, youth volunteer in a safe space where they're able to ask questions and able to learn uh, before they, you know, go into the quote real world, um, volunteer, disclose, advocate, do all that stuff. Um, and, you know, they're, they're learning how to uh, create projects and, and all that stuff. We also have, you know, programs for, for kids and youth just to come and, and listen. So we have our Work Wednesdays program where um, we'll have a blind or partially sighted um, um, employee who works somewhere come and talk about their job so that um, children and youth and their families are able to learn more about that um, and learn about their opportunities and what they can and, you know, can do um, as they get older um, and things like that. And as I got um, more involved with the, with the organization, we did other projects as well. We did our flash mob um, our blind beginnings flash mob, which can be found on YouTube. So we took our white canes. uh, We performed a spontaneous sort of dance in Metro town after a year of planning um, to kind of like show that dancing isn't something that's just for people with sight. Um, we did our do the grind blind challenge, which again is also on YouTube. It's a documentary done by accessible media, um, uh, where we, uh, climbed the grouse grind after four months of training, um, because there's stigma, uh, misguided beliefs about, um, people who are blind when they're in physical activity or doing things like hiking, et cetera. And then I also 
you know, I wanted to give back, you know, just for everything the organization has done for me. So now my role is um, I'm what they call a youth alumni and youth mentor. So I'm a mentor and role model to other younger youth and children who are joining the organization. And I'm uh, currently finishing off uh, my fifth consecutive term on their board of directors as the youth representative. So just kind of making sure I can give back um, for all the support I've received. That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> Sorry. No, we, we don't. We here in Ontario, I, again, I'd never heard of Blind Beginnings until I, and then I sat beside Sean, who um, is the, what's your exec- title? The executive yeah, director? Yeah, Sean Marsley. She is our executive director and founder. Founder, yeah. She's lovely. Yeah. Uh, we sat together mm-hmm. for the day of convention speeches there in 2019, and uh, her speech uh, speeches that weekend were great. Uh, and I was just thinking about the book I'm reading, Their, Their Plant Eyes by Leona Godin, actually. Uh, and in there, and she has talked in interviews for her book tour about how we've been more silent and less proud of ourselves as blind people in, a blind, in the community. And I think what you're doing through Blind Beginnings, um, mentoring you know, the kids coming younger than you. And I'm like you said, um, you had, you know, inspiration and respect um, when you got to hear to, um, people older than you come and speak who are blind. So, you know, um, this author, Leona, talks about how we need to, you know, lift mm-hmm. each other up and, and support each other instead of all the comparisons and the, and the bit of competition that can get in about, you know, what you believe as far as exactly your braille or technology mm-hmm. or guide dog or cane or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's, it's so refreshing to, to, meet someone like you you Ginny who is still still so young like when I not to compare again because everyone's paths are different but when I was in my late teens early (laughs) 20s I was also integrated and at that point I was so far removed from the blindness community and I just wasn't at all connected with it or frankly I wasn't interested (laughs) in the blind community at that point and getting a bit older I've come back around to it but it is just really refreshing to see younger people like you doing so much for the community like that and being involved in such important organizations like Blind Beginnings so I think that's that's incredible. Yeah, thank you. I enjoy it. So it's, it's I love it. So it's, it doesn't feel like right, work, yeah. which I love. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like I said, I think earlier, you uh, wrote for the Limitless blog um, in, for Pride Month, a little post there. And you are on, they've started, you guys have started a committee there, right? A, a diversity committee. Yes. Um, as part of the board, we have recently started a diversity committee um, um, to talk a, a little bit about um, those types of things, um, to build um, build uh, build it into our programs, uh, build it into our uh, learning, and kind of make sure we're we're doing the best we can and are um, make sure we're doing the best we can and supporting our members because blindness doesn't discriminate. You know, you can be any gender, any race anything of that nature absolutely yeah it's one of those one of those um, minority things that you know not, that you can't just that, that you could um like someone can become blind at any point in life which is why mm-hmm. a lot of people fear blindness so much but yeah that's great uh so i just yeah so you think what do you see as the future of these kind of committees you think like the kind of work they can do can make a difference you know i i'm, I'm just looking into it myself right now so i hope so also <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah it's a new committee, so. Just wanted to say that, yeah. I read your you read your post there on the Limitless blog, and of course, you know, you don't have to talk. You can talk about as much as you feel comfortable on the air, but um, I know you do talk uh, in that about the LGBTQ community, and maybe just if you want to briefly talk about that and your experience, I know it's 
it's it's still something that is hard for people certain people to talk about and i wouldn't ever want to pressure someone to but i also feel like it's so unfortunate in our society still that all of these sort of more invisible in a lot of cases disabilities or not disabilities in every sense just identifications and stuff that people don't feel comfortable talking about i think it's primarily because of how other people react to these things and i just mm -hmm. i really want people to be more open to be able to talk about these things and other people to be less sort of critical or something but again i know it's a it's a it's a difficult topic but carrie and i are trying to open up more about it on this show because i just think it's important mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And maybe I'll just give like a brief snapshot. And if anyone else is also interested, uh, definitely you're more than welcome to go read um, that post or check out um, any of the posts on the blog. I've done I've done a few posts um, there mm -hmm. as well. Um, uh, but um, yeah, so I was I've recently started getting more comfortable with talking about it I'm still not 100% and you know it just takes time as all things do um but I like um I always knew kind of like oh like I don't fit in like I'm not a, you know I never said which um part of it I identify with but I never really fit in um kind of like um how the people around me were kind of thinking. Mm. Um, and I'd always kind of like, once you started learning about it in high school and things like that, I'd always push away from it. I was like, Oh, this is not right. This is, this is not okay. Um, you know, kind of doing that, but that was only because it just resonated with me. Um, you know, and I was like, I need to avoid this. Um, but uh, when I left high school, I, you know, was talking to a teacher, um, about something else. Um, and you know, it came up and she was like, Oh, you should have told me because, you know, there was like a, uh, like a, a kind of like a club in our school for that. Um, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And I more said it at the time because I was out of that environment that I was, um, you know, back in high school, I was there every single day. Um, so I think for me, that was like the first time I was like, oh, like someone else finally knows, like something lifted off of me. And ever since then, I've been just making small strides with it and small steps and um, I'm hoping one day it's just going to become um, fully accepted a part of me as blindness is. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, like you say, it's definitely a, a very gradual thing. and it's, it's It is, and it's still something, and it's still something I'm even conflicting with like I have a friend who I talk to about it and I'm like what if what if I am what if I'm not so I'm still it's still something yeah. that's like you 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 don't know yet right so it takes a time to figure out as you were trying to say Brian so. right and it's it's one of those things that it's something that I don't um connect with in my personal life so it's hard it's hard for me to imagine what someone else you know that goes through that um sort of identification and figuring out kind of how they feel about these things and their involvement in that in that community and how they fit in um, I can't imagine what it's like to open up about that, especially in, in the world that we live in with so many different opinions that everyone has. But mm -hmm. I do think these diversity committees are so important. And I do see a future where this will become less and less awkward for people to talk about. And I just hope that is the case. But I also realize it's a it's a personal thing. So someone's not someone's only going to start talking about it as, as they become more comfortable to do so. And it's a different uh, at a different rate for everyone. So it's uh... exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like blindness, right? Like we, a lot of people, especially, I guess, if they go blind a bit later and stuff, even people all their lives are blind. There's, there's often just levels of acceptance. And, and again, like Brian said, it's a big part of how society is responding to you that makes it feel, makes you feel like you can't be yourself or you can't 
um, live the life you might want. Uh, so I think it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you're into literature, as we've said, um, and not just literature, even like media and things in general. Have you grown up? Have you had many, like you said, I think you said you've had a few role models and stuff through Blind Beginnings, but have you seen yourself, do you think, represented in 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 popular culture and things much? Or do you feel like there's a lot of work to be doing there in diversity and representation? <laughs> a lot of work um, to be done there. Um, as a writer or aspiring writer, I should say, I really want to try um, and do that, even though, you know, when I write stories, I try to write them. Um, it's funny. Most of my stories that I've written for class have been, have been pretty, pretty, um, I try to, you know, when I started writing stories for class, it was, it was what I was seeing in the media. It was, um, trying to kind of copy that style. And then people in my class were like, but, but we don't want to read the same descriptions of this. And we don't want to, you know, we've read thousands of descriptions of sunsets. We're done with that, Ginny. Like we want something else. So I wrote, I wrote us a really bad cheesy story, um, in class about, uh, this girl who, has a uh, disability. It happened to be blindness. Um, and people actually liked it. It was a really badly written cheesy story. I definitely want to rewrite it and rewrite um, some of the stories I wrote in a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, everyone seemed to like it. And I think that was when I was like, okay, like this is actually something people want to read, even though I'm trying to copy what I'm seeing in popular literature, popular media to get good grades. This isn't clearly what my class wants to read. And that was like the first time I think I really... Uh, really was like okay I guess it's okay to write about characters who are not able-bodied because most of my stories were had that before that last story I wrote for a class yeah I've been trying to do that when I write stories too I have a, a few um assembled already that have a blind character and often is the protagonist of the story but it's not like about that so it, it, but it's not like the popular tropes it's like it doesn't end with her getting her sight back or you know mm-hmm. it's, it's just her being her and doing something yeah. else else in the story but I often find the idea of writing I think I'm a visual person too but I always worry now that the less sight I have when I try to write I'm like can I write things like do I need to write about someone's physical you know, there's a lot of that, like you said, though. So imagery, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, imagery is a big, really big, hard one for me. Um, and you know, even 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 when uh, you give your character a disability, it feels like in popular literature or media, there has to be a reason. And it's I, you know, mm-hmm. why can't my character just be blind? Just because that's who she is in the story. But the story could be about totally about something else. And and I want to have that one day where my character could have a disability, but the story is about something else completely. For sure. And I just think that also touches on Carrie, referring back to the book that you've been reading and that we're going to cover on this show uh, later on in the summer uh, by Leona Godin about how, of course, we naturally go towards um, sight when we're writing a um, writing with descriptions and stuff, but to focus, start focusing into on other senses more like you know, what something sounded like, try to write more about sound and smell and all those other senses that sometimes I think a lot of people overlook or don't really think about including as much about mm-hmm. when they're writing. So I just thought that was a really yeah. good point. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and definitely too, yeah, I want to try and do that, but it's also hard because I'm like, okay, I want to write about all these other senses, but I feel like I need to put in some visual because right. I want to, you know, go to yeah. as diverse an audience as possible, right? So 
Yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel right to leave out visuals either, but I sometimes feel like I'm almost a fraud. Like I'm like, yeah. I, guess, I guess you're using your imagination. So why is that? That's not fraudulent at all. But mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. I'll go, that, that doesn't look visually, that wouldn't look like that. And I forgot that because I haven't seen much. Exactly. So. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, like you've sort of said a bit about, but after school and things, you're, you're giving yourselves um, great, a lot of great options. Are, are there things that stand out in your mind right now that you want to do with your future with um, all this uh, education you're getting right now? Or Yeah, um, one day I really do want to and really hope to get my master's in creative writing, so my MFA. Um, I know that's a long shot. Um, but definitely my backup is teaching. So whether mm-hmm. that's teaching in high school, uh, teaching social studies, English, um, things like that, or even working um, with other um, youth and children who have disabilities or, you know, or particularly blindness or anything, kind of continuing along that um, line of of work or, you know, uh, working for a company, editing, doing something like that, trying to get myself into the field as much as possible because, you know, you can't kind of jump in there right away. You have to like work your way up. So Mm. yeah, some, something along those lines. (laughs) So your your dream isn't necessarily to be a journalist or like, I know that's always a, a, a good option and things. So. Um, I mean, it's not my dream to be a journalist. Uh, I mean, I don't, again, I wouldn't mind working as a journalist for a little bit or like yeah. at a place for a little bit. Um, but I'm more into creative writing. Um, so, so unfortunately, so yeah, um, I mean, me too, saying, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause you said journalism. So I wasn't sure. Yeah. So I'm more into the creative writing thing. I think journalism is more something I took as like a backup option. Um, it is a different form of writing, so I do definitely enjoy it, but it, it does have a different feel to it, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I guess it's good to learn those skills as much as you can get them. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so, for sure. It's like Brian said, it's great all, all the things you're doing. And a lot of what you've been telling us are things happening out West. And like Brian and I growing up in Ontario, we until we found sort of the CF, Canadian Federation of the Blind, a couple of years ago and met a lot of you through that sort of by extension, we didn't really know what was going on at West. So mm-hmm. it, it, it just shows our listeners and everybody that, you know, CNIB isn't the only one in Canada who provides programs for people and not even always the best option for people. So, but I liked hearing more about Blind Beginnings because I, I really do support you guys out there. I hope thank you, you. I want you to know that. It. And uh, yeah, so I, I try to promote you when I, guys, when I talk to people here in Ontario. Uh, thank yes, you. definitely. All of our listeners go to blindbeginnings.ca, read up on everything, check out the Limitless podcast, Blind Beginnings Limitless podcast. And for anyone who's just tuned in, we're speaking with Ginny Saran from British Columbia. We have about five minutes left on today's program, and it's been a super interesting discussion so far. I briefly met you in person at the 2019 CFB convention, but other than that, I don't, don't really know you that well, so this has really helped me to get to know you a bit longer, or a bit more, and... Carrie, I know you're, you've been connecting with Ginny a little bit more as you guys are, you're, you're, both of you are writers, so it makes sense that <laughs> it's cool mm-hmm. that you two have connected and uh, have been able to get to know each other a little bit better. And we've also discovered a few other new organizations that are at West, the Pacific Training Center for the Blind and Deafblind and Camp Bowen. Are you involved much with either of those? Briefly tell uh, us. 
Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm just working as a content writer for Camp Bowen um, um, through a work experience program, just writing blogs. Um, so kind of doing what I do for Blind Beginnings, uh, but I'm getting uh, compensated. Uh, it's more. It's not a volunteer role. It's a work role. Yeah, that's something we could have also got into, you know, the pressure. And you said learning when to disclose, but when you're blind, it's often you can't walk into the interview and sort of keep that under your hat. Like you could, you mm-hmm. know, mental illness or something in the moment if you're afraid that uh, somebody's not going to give you a fair shot. So it's great you guys learning all those skills that I'm not sure we learned all of. Um, but that all those organizations out there seem like they really support each other and work together. And that's that's good to see, too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's all following the positive philosophy of blindness, where like you talked about so much earlier about, I've seen actually on, on Facebook more recently, a lot of people asking, can a blind person do this? Or is it possible for a blind person to do mm-hmm. this? And I think the better way that hopefully we can start looking at things and hopefully over the changes in society, it will be, how do I do this as a blind person? Not can I do this as a blind mm-hmm. person? I think that's sort of a difference there. And this just made me think yeah. about that a lot. For sure. And as I, as I get older and older, I do appreciate, you know, it is, I'm learning more about what it's like to get older. And, it, and then when you see generations coming up behind you and they're doing <laughs> the kind of stuff you do, it's just great. It makes me feel Thank you. hopeful, uh, but I know it's not, you know, we all have our struggles and things. So, but it's been great connecting with you these last, well, at least in the last year or something. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I really appreciate connecting with the both of you. And thank you so much again. So with a few minutes left, um, maybe just to, to, to finish off the show, talk maybe something a little bit about some of your other interests or something that maybe doesn't tie into your work or something that you just do as a hobby. Yeah, or what do you do as your spare you time other fun. than... All the work and stuff that you're doing. I was going to say, I don't have a if lot you have of spare, spare time. time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> when I do have spare time, I'm basically any other 21-year-old watching Netflix, uh, eating snacks, uh, being lazy, doing all, all that. So when I'm not doing all that other stuff, uh, that's what I uh, enjoy doing. So a lot of friends, uh, Zoom type, watching movies over watching movies, technology yeah. to get through the pandemic. Watching, yeah, watching movies with friends, talking with friends, playing games with friends, hanging out with friends, all that stuff. Yeah, it's pretty nice. neat now with Zoom how you can do that. Share, share a movie or something and just actually watch yeah. with someone else, no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. and. And, and do that virtually. So that is really great. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we will see you in person again uh, at some point when, when things open up in the next few years. Maybe we'll make it out to BC again, or maybe you'll come back yeah, to Ontario. for sure. I'd love that. You and Sadie are welcome. Thank you. Anything you'd like to plug on air? I've already, I know we've mentioned a few of the organizations, but. Um... Uh, no, just thank you to both of you um, for having me on the show. Um, yeah, if anyone does wish to network or connect, um, I do have social media. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's just at Ginny Saran. Uh, yeah, and thank you so much to the both of you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks. so much. You're, it was great talking to you, Ginny. Yeah, you too. Send us an email, outlook on radiowestern at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. <laughs>